Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 13 as we continue in our teaching series that we've been in for past couple of months. Today, I hope to finish out chapter 13 where Pastor Terry left off last week, verses 17 through 22. And you know, um, I had a friend in high school when I was growing up tell me something that was kind of, for me, it was kind of odd. He told me that he didn't know if he dreamed or not, if he had dreams at night. And the reason he told me that was, he said, because I don't remember, I never remember having a dream. And to me, that was odd because I dream almost every single time I go to sleep. I can take a nap and I usually have a dream. And usually in the mornings when I wake up, I can remember the dream right away. But as the day progresses, it usually evaporates and goes away unless it's a recurring dream. And I have had, I have several recurring dreams, but I have two that stick out to me. Uh, The first is, is one that I am a senior in high school again, and or I'm, I'm in college. And for some reason, I realize I have one more year of eligibility to play football. Uh, I don't, and I'm excited about it. I can't believe I've got this one more year to just, you know, show the world that I should have been in the NFL. So anyway, the only problem is once the coach calls me to get into the game, I can't find my helmet in my dream, or, or I can't find the cleat, my, my, my cleat, and I can't get into the game. Or if I do get into the game, I can't run. In the, it's like I'm running in slow motion. Can anyone, does anyone have a dream similar to that that you have? Okay, that's one dream I have. Second dream I have is that it's my senior year in college, and it's the last semester and I am sitting in class, and I realize today's our final exam. And then it hits me. I didn't go to class the entire semester. Does anybody else have that dream? I have, nobody? Come on. I have that dream over and over. Scott's waving his hand back and forth. I've been out of school for almost 30 years, and I still have that dream. And the thing I think about in that dream is, man, I'm going to fail and I've got to repeat this last senior semester again. And uh, the point that I'm making here is that in both dreams, I'm not prepared for the tests that are at hand. And today's passage that we are in this morning, Israel is finally out of Egypt, and they are headed into the wilderness where they are going to be tested over and over and over again by God. And if you've been with us for the past couple months, you, you remember that Israel has been in Egypt for about 430 years. The first 100 years or so seemed to have been a great time for them. They were prospering. They were doing well under Joseph, who had brought them into Egypt, and they had prospered. But at some point, they forgot who Joseph was, and the Egyptians got fearful of of the increase of the Hebrews, so they decided to enslave them and to oppress them and to make their lives bitter and unbearable. So what does God do? He raises up a Savior in the form of Moses, and he sends him into Egypt. He sends him to Pharaoh and says, 
Pharaoh let the people of God go. Pharaoh says no, and so what does God do? He begins dropping what I like to call God Almighty bombs from heaven onto Egypt. Uh, There's 10 plagues that he sends down on them. He is showing them how awesome and mighty and powerful he is, how the, the God of Yahweh... The the God Yahweh is the only true and living God. And so the last bomb that he drops is the atomic bomb of atomic bombs, is putting to death the firstborn of the Egyptians while he spares the Israelites. And they come out because in the middle of the night, Pharaoh comes to, to Moses and says, get out, just go on and take everything, take everybody with you and get out of here. And so scripture says that about 600,000 men not including the women and children, make this mass exodus out of Egypt. It's been estimated that it would be one and a half to two and a half million people traveling out of Egypt, an awesome thing to see. And in the book of Psalms, uh, the, the writer of Psalms kind of gives us a little picture of what that was to look like. It says in Psalm 78, verse 52, then he, speaking of God, led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And then in Psalm 66, 10 through 12, it says, for you, God, tested us. See that there? You, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through, the, through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And, you know, God is, is going to lead. He wants to lead his people just like he wants to lead us. He wants to lead us to a place of abundance. But on the way, before we get there, before they get there, They are going to be tested. And here's the test. There is a test. It's very simple. It's a test that he gave them. And if you are his follower, it's a test that he's giving you. And it's very simple. It's this. Will you walk by faith? That's it. Will you trust God or will you trust your feelings and your circumstance? It's not difficult. It's a very simple test. Will you trust me as I'm leading you? And you know, If you're taking notes, write this down. Walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. Walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. There's a lot of things that are simple that are not easy. For example, losing weight. When I was young, when I was uh, a teenager, I could eat anything I wanted. My metabolism was running really high, and I could just eat anything I wanted until I reached around the age 30. Anybody with me? Your metabolism slows down. And suddenly, it is, you, you can't eat hardly anything. But losing weight is simple, unless you have a, a chemical imbalance or a thyroid or something like that. It's simple. What is it? Quit putting this food into here and swallowing it. Don't put more than you can burn off. It's very simple, but it's not easy. And here's how I know that. Holiday seasons are coming up, right? Grandma's cooking is Good, and you know if you put it in there, too much of it in there, it's going to cause you to gain weight. It's simple not to put it in there, but I'll talk to you on January 1st to see how you do, how you went through the wilderness of the holiday season. It is so simple, 
to not to lose weight. That's just one example. But, uh, it, and it's simple to walk with the Lord, but it's not easy. And you know what? The Israelites are, the, are a proof of this to us. Pastor Terry talked about this last week, that these things that we are reading right now, that we are studying right now, were written for our benefit, to study to make sure we don't do the same things that they did. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 and 19. If you're, if you're with us reading through this, the uh, New Testament, we're, we're reading through the New Testament as a church together, and uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews for the past few weeks, and this is what was one of our readings. But this is speaking, listen, this is talking about the very people we're reading about in Exodus. It says, verse 16, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to, the, but to those who were disobedient. And then he says, so we see that they were unable to enter enter the promised land because of unbelief. Walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. And instead of choosing to walk by faith, the Israelites wanted to walk by their five senses, what they could see, smell, taste, touch, their circumstances, their thinking, instead of God's word. And Again, Pastor Terry reminded us last week that when we remember what God has done, listen, when we remember what God has done, we remember who God is. Psalm 78, 11 says this. Speaking again of the same Israelites we're, we're talking about, it says, they <clears throat> forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Now listen, uh, next week, we're going to be, uh, Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 14. We're going to be at the Red Sea. The Israelites have been in Egypt watching 10 awesome plagues of God play out. They have come out of Egypt. They have plundered them. They have taken all their goods, not because they did it by force, but because the Egyptians gave them everything that they wanted. They have seen the great and mighty works of God, but next week, they're going to be freaking out. Just a day later, they're going to, why? Because of what Psalm 78, 11 says. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. And listen, this is the part of the message that I need you to listen to this morning. Um, if, you, if you're going to daydream, daydream after this part, okay? Because the reason that they do not enter into the promised land is because they did not pay attention. They forgot. They wouldn't, did not look at the works of God, and they end up falling away. They end up perishing in the wilderness. Walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy, and we are in danger, church. We are in danger of doing the same thing as the Israelites do if we don't remember. So if you came, when you came in this morning, hopefully you got what we call a weekly. And on the back, I put uh, five promises that we've already seen in the book of Exodus. I've, I've written them out here, um, and I've put references beside them. Number one, God has an unthwartable plan. That's something that we need to remember. 
God has an, an unthwartable plan, and we are in that plan, a plan to save a people for his glory. It's unthwartable. God has a plan, and, and he's working that plan. Secondly, we see that God sees and he hears. God sees and he hears. He sees our condition. Listen, if you're in stress this morning, do you realize that God sees it? That God sees where you're at. He sees what you're going through. He hears your groanings. He, in other words, he is aware of you. Thirdly, it's not that he's just aware of you. He's concerned. God is concerned about his people. When we hurt, you need to believe this and hear this, he hurts. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, God sent a savior. Now in Exodus, Moses is, is the one that he sent, but Moses points to the greater, a greater reality, who is our Savior, Jesus, right? Everything in, in the book of Exodus is pointing, it's a shadow that's pointing to a greater reality. God sent a Savior, Jesus. Number five, God is unstoppable. God, in other words, there's nothing God cannot do. The ten plagues already have shown us that. He's going to do a lot more things in the wilderness to prove that, but God is unstoppable. Stoppable. Now listen, again, I want to say it again, walking with God is, is simple. And if we would just take these five, these five promises, these five truths, and really get them, our lives would explode in the Lord. We would be in a, in a great place. But you know what's good news is these aren't all the promises. And this morning I'm going to give you three more to add to this list here. Okay, to add to this list as you are, as we are seeking to Enter in the promised land that God has promised us. So if you're, if you're taking notes, we're going to be, I'm going to be giving you three more, and we're going to go right now, and I'm going to read the passage, read six, seven verses, and then we're going to walk right through it. And I'm going to, hopefully together, we're going to mine out these truths in the Word of God. So let's look at Exodus 13, beginning with verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, or though that was the shortest route. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt. And, and it, right here it says, equipped for battle. That doesn't mean that they were ready for battle. It means that they were marching like a, um, a military um, initiative. <laughs> Verse 19, Moses, it says, um, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, look at this, did not depart from before the people. So the first gospel promise I want us to see in our passage this morning that we, I just read is this, is that God always keeps his word. 
God always keeps his word. Verse 17 says, when Pharaoh let the people go. Now notice where the Israelites are right now. They are outside of Egypt. And if you if you remember back in chapter 3 when Moses is right before the burning bush, what does God say to him? Let's look at verse 19 of chapter 3. It says, I know that the king of Egypt, speaking of Pharaoh, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And here it is. After that, he will let you go. God said it, God promised it, and it happened exactly as he said it would. But that's not the only place in this passage where we see that God always keeps his word. There's actually a promise that was even older than that. And it's, it's the part where it says that Moses takes a 400-year-old mummy and carries it out. Now, listen, if you came here this morning and told me that your great-great-great-grandfather was in your car, his bones were in your car, you would be in jail. But this is what, this is what happens, uh, happened with them, and it wasn't weird to them. Let's look at uh, Genesis 50. That was the book that we, uh, one of the books we did before we did Exodus. It's the book that's right before Exodus. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 50, verses 24 through 25 says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Joseph is about to die. And he says, I'm about to die. Okay, I didn't have to share that part. Okay, but God will visit you. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land. So there's the prophecy. Joseph is prophesying. He says he will bring you up to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and here it is, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So what's happening here? Moses is fulfilling the word that God had promised through Joseph hundreds of years prior. God always keeps his word. This means that he can always be trusted. Now, I've got a question for you um, that, that's, um, who, why, why is Amazon uh, a dominating online internet sales company? If, if I'm looking for something like shoes, a book, um, whatever, uh, I go to Amazon. And uh, whether you like it or not, they are they're dominating the Internet. And, and why is that? It's because they say they're going to do something. They say what they're going to do, and then they do what they say. That, that's why they keep growing. They say that it's going to be there tomorrow, and not, all, not 100%, but 99% of the time at my house, it's sitting outside my front door, the next day. They do what they say they're going to do. Not perfectly, but consistently. And when you do that, it builds trust. And that's in any relationship. If we're going to have good relationships, we have to keep our word. Keeping our word is crucial. Amazon does it pretty consistently, but God does it perfectly. God always keeps his word. He always keeps what he promised to you. So what has he promised? Again, 
I'm just going to look at the, the five things that are on this, the weekly. He's promised that he has an unportable plan. He's promised that he sees and he hears us. He promises that he's concerned. He's promises that, promised that he sent a savior. He's promised that he is unstoppable. There's nothing he cannot do. God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his words. Number two, if you're taking notes, the gospel truth that I want us to see here this morning is that God is with his people. This is so important to understand. God is with his people. Verses 21 and 22, let's look at those again. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of night uh, of fire by night did not depart from before the people. You know what's interesting? As I um, have been studying the book of Exodus and as I uh, have looked at other things, there are, there are people that want to try to like, make this sound like it wasn't some great miracle. Uh, I was watching the History Channel one time, and there was a guy, don't do that if you're wanting to get biblical knowledge. But anyway, it, it is good to know what people are saying. And this one guy was like, you know what that was? It was this like, standard, a pole that had this fire on top of it. And it put off this smoke, and they were so, back then, they were so uh, superstitious that they thought that that was God in front of them. Well, next week, we're going to see that, that uh, Egypt, Pharaoh, they're all going to come after them uh, and their chariots. And it says that this pillar of fire stands between the two. So did Moses just stand there with this, this standard, and they're like, ooh, we can't get around that. I mean, I don't think so. Uh, why not just either say, I don't believe it, but don't say that, that, that that's what happened, that, that it's not something great and miracle. God is awesome, and he did some great and mighty things to show these people that he could be trusted. So, um, visually, there was, there was a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night that for 24-7, the Israelites, if they were like, is God with us? All they had to do was look outside their tent and look. Because the, the cloud represented the glory of God's presence. It was a presence. It was a physical reminder that God, Yahweh, was always with them. And you might be thinking, man, I wish we had that cloud today. If, if I had that cloud today, Man, it, I, my faith would be so much stronger, and I would be, it'd be easy to follow the Lord. And you know what? If that's what you're thinking, like I have thought, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. And I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. But I remember when I was younger, about 12 years old, I was mowing the grass and ran out of gas, came back, filled it up, and tried to start the lawnmower. And it would not start. I was pulling, pulling. I mean, I kept pulling for 30 minutes, and it would not start. Finally, I just said, God... If you're real, the next time I pull this string here, I want the, the lawnmower to come on, and then I will know you're real. I will never doubt your presence. So guess what I did? I pulled it, and it started right away. And guess what I thought? Man, that was just a coincidence. That, 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 that didn't. I, I did, it did not help my faith whatsoever. And the, and the pillar of fire by night, it, it says that it did not depart from them, for 40 years. And yet we're going to see that these are the most, some of the most rebellious people ever, even with a sign. And um, 
Again, walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. And you can be thinking, man, if Jesus was just here, you know, doing miracles, I would be able to trust him. And if that's what you're thinking, reread the New Testament and study the disciples. They had him right there, and they, they struggled with unbelief. And the, the pillar, ultimately, is a shadow of greater things to come. We, we need to understand that. The pillar is pointing to something that's greater that we actually have in our lives now, Jesus tells us what that is in John 14, verses 15 through 17. He says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be, look at this, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God is with his people through the Holy Spirit among us and in us. And I love this word, that word that where Jesus says, and he will give you another helper. Now there's two Greek words translated as another, and they can mean another of a different kind or another of the same kind. Now which word do you think that's talking about? Another kind or the same kind? Same kind, right? That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 28, 20, uh, 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Because although the Holy Spirit is not Jesus, we need to, we need to remember that. They're, they're separate persons, God in three persons, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus, but they are of the same kind, God with us. And so, when we say, man, I wish I had uh, something that I could look at and that, that was before me, we're basically saying, I want a shadow. We've been given, we need to remember, we've been given the reality through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here to guide us. He is here to comfort us. He is here to be with us. God is with his people. Last gospel truth I want us to see this morning is that God leads his people that God leads his people. It's verse 17 and 18. He leads his people if we're willing to be led. It says, when Pharaoh let, his, uh, the, people of God, uh, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Verse 18 says, but God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, the shortest and easiest route to the promised land would have been through the way of of the land of the Philistines. Uh, These were paved roads, and travelers uh, could easily travel on them and get access to food and to water and to shelter. And on the surface, you would think, well, this is the way that we need to go. This is the best way. This is the safest way to go. Uh, But there were Egyptian outposts all, all along the way there, and God knew that if they saw them, that they would be frightened and they would want to turn around and return back to Egypt. So God, as he's leading his people, he knows his people. He knows what our tendencies are, and he also knows the best way. As he is leading his people, he knows the best way. If, if we're willing to follow, he will lead us. And listen, 
The best way is usually not the shortest way. The best way, if you follow the Lord, is the long way. Um, If you're taking notes, write this down. When it comes to true spiritual growth and maturity, there are no shortcuts. True spiritual growth and maturity. There are no shortcuts. And, you know, as a church, I've talked about this since we planted, we can be a church that's like a weed or an oak tree. Weeds grow up quickly. You don't even have to plant weeds. They do their own thing. But they take up a lot of ground and soil and nutrients, and they grow up. But there's two things that they, they uh, don't do. Number one, they don't give fruit. There's nothing fruitful that you can get from a tree. And the second thing is they don't endure. They're only there for a season. But it looks like, man, I want that because it's so fast and quick. But in the end, it doesn't last. An oak tree, on the other hand, Have you ever seen an oak tree and how many acorns fall? You've seen it? Okay. Oak trees give hundreds of acorns every year, but only a few of them make it. Only a few acorns make it. And they're they're the ones that endure through, through all the seasons, through sun, rain, snow, and drought, and their growth is usually undetectable. It doesn't look like anything is happening until you turn around, come back 30 years later, and you see that it has endured. And when it comes to true spiritual growth and maturity, we need to understand that there are no shortcuts. It takes time. True growth in Christ is slow. It's painful. It doesn't happen overnight. And and Israel and Egypt are that picture for us, church, They are a picture for us to show us what salvation looks like. God sends Moses, who represents Jesus, to go into Egypt and to call his people out, to bring his people out from under the bondage of Pharaoh, who represents um, Satan, who represents the world, who represents ourselves, the the sin nature that would want to keep us in bondage, which, which... represents sin and the bondage of sin. And here's what we're, we're, we're going to see for the next few weeks. Moses, who represents Jesus, does not lead the people straight to the promised land. He's going to take them into the wilderness. And the wilderness, you know what that represents? It represents a process known as sanctification. Okay, that's a process in salvation, not that you need to be saved, but that you need to become what you already are in Christ. God uses the process of of sanctification to transform his people into the image of Christ, to make us look more like Jesus, and that takes time. I said this a a few weeks ago, God isn't only wanting to get Israel out of Egypt, but he's wanting to get Egypt out of Israel, and that's the process of sanctification, And this week I sat down uh, with a guy and had lunch, and he told me about a message he had heard recently that to me illustrates what the process of sanctification looks like. He he was telling me uh, the the pastor that was preaching was giving the imagery of the potter and the clay. You may have, have read this in Jeremiah 18 and Romans 9, where God is, who is God? God is the potter and we are the clay, right? Now, it's important as we're looking at, I'm going to look at this illustration real quick, and then we'll be done. But 
it's important to understand who's who in this process. Because a lot of times, uh, we want to mold God into an image that is useful to us. We want to use him for our purposes. And when, it, when we try to do that, it, it does not work. What the process is, is God takes clay, he molds it into a vessel that he can use to display his glory. That, that's what the, the, the imagery of, of, the, of the potter is. And I want to go through the processes real quick because um, I went and did, a, I listened, took notes from this guy, and then I also did a little study of myself to see if he was telling the truth, and he was. So here, here's what, uh, what happens. The first stage is the wedging stage. Uh, what the potter does is he takes a piece of string or wire and he cuts off of a block, a big block of clay, just a section. It's, this is the picture of like God going to Israel, cutting them out from Egypt, setting them aside, cutting us out of the world, setting us aside. And then what, what they do is the, the potter takes that piece of clay and on the table begins to what's called wedge it. They begin to press upon it, put pressure on it like kneading dough. And during that process, what, what's happening is the potter is beginning to transform that piece of clay to make it more pliable and flexible, to get out the air bubbles and to um, align the clay particles. Now, to the clay, I would think that that's very uncomfortable. It doesn't feel comfortable. And that's what it feels like when God takes us and begins to transform us. It's not comfortable. But this step cannot be skipped. If, if you skip this step, it will, not, you will, it will not be able to make pottery. Again, there are no shortcuts to the promised land. Secondly, there's a stage called the centering. And this is, you know, we live in a culture where, where people are trying to find their center. That's, that's some terminology you might have heard in the culture. Well, there is actually a stage called centering in pottery. And this is where the potter takes the clay that he has uh, uh, wedged, and he puts it onto the stone tablet or the stone wheel, and the, in order to begin to center it onto, onto that wheel, and the wheel starts spinning around and around. Now, have you ever, as you've been trying to follow God, felt like your world was spinning around and around, uh, like you didn't know what was up and what was down? Listen, if that's where you're at and you're seeking to follow God, good, you're in a good place. You're, you're right where you need to be. God is probably trying to center you. And what happens here is that the potter takes their hands and they begin to put pressure onto the clay and to get it centered into the center of the wheel. But if you've ever watched it, and you can watch this on YouTube, the clay goes back and forth like this. The potter is trying to get that, that clay at the very center of the wheel. And if, if, the, if it doesn't get to the center of the wheel, then the, the clay, the uh, pottery will come out lopsided where it will not be formed properly. And this might be a, a place when, in this process, where you're just like, I just want to get back off this wheel and go back to that lump of clay where I was just chill. The pro, you, you, wanna, you, don't, you don't like this. You don't like the pressure. You don't like what's, what's going on here. But that's where we need to remember that Christ said that apart from me, you can do nothing. 
stay in the hands of the potter. And so what our Father is, is seeking to do during the centering stage is to center us on the rock. And until we're centered, he can't move forward. This is another place. He can't move forward until we're centered. And you know how he knows that, that, that he's centered, that we're centered? How you know that the clay is centered? Is it stops moving. The hands can stay still and they don't move anymore. So when the clay stops moving, you know that the clay is centered and the, and the potter can move forward. And at this point, we often want to go, oh, good, I've arrived. But the only problem is you're still just a centered lump of clay that's full of yourself, okay, at this point. You're centered, but you're still full of yourself. You're not useful to the potter so that you move on to the forming and detailing stage. And this is where the potter shapes the clay. And what's important to understand here, he shapes the clay into what he wants the clay to be, okay? This is where a lot of times as we're getting shaped, we're like, wait, I don't like this. That's not what I want. I'm supposed to be a grand vase here, but you're just making me into a little cup or whatever he's make, you may not like. But during this time, what the, what the potter does is he takes his hands and he forces them into the center of the clay, pushing in and causing it to, to expand out. And he begins to stretch the inside out. Everything from the inside begins to expand out. He's taking what's inside and moving it out so that the clay is no longer full of itself. And then he begins to build it up and, and bring up the sides. Now, my question is this. What is the clay's part in all of this? What is our part in all of this? It's to stay in the hands of the potter. Don't, don't jump off the wheel. Now, it's simple. What I'm saying here, it's simple, but it's not easy. Trusting God is simple, but it's not easy. And I want to just, when we're in this stage, we need to be Remind ourselves, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the things that are familiar. Don't go back to what God has saved us from, the bondage. Remain in the potter's hand. And once he has brought the vessel to, to what he wants it to be, he puts it into what's called the refining stage. The vessel is taken off the wheel, and two things it could, be, could happen here. Either it's put on the shelf to cure, or it's put in the fire. Now, have you ever been put on the shelf or felt like you've been put on the shelf by God? Here's how you know you've been put on, you feel like that. It's, you feel lonely. You feel like you're forgotten. You feel worthless. You ask questions like, why isn't God using me more than, he, than, than this? I, I've got a lot more in me than this. Have you ever felt like that? There is, there is a temptation to, to, to feeling like that. But we need to remember that when God puts us on the shelf, he is doing a process that is causing us to cure. Then there's where he puts us in the fire. This is where it feels unbearable. This is where uh, situations you're trying to follow God, but this just fire, Peter calls them fiery trials are coming at you because you're trying to follow God. People are turning against you. People are, uh, you're trying to do things for the Lord and things just don't seem to be working out. And there's a lot of pressure, a lot of fire and you think, again, that God has forgotten you. But here's, a, here's something that was very interesting to me that was said. Um, on some of furnaces, there is what's called a keyhole that the potter looks at 
the pot in the middle of the fire. He always is keeping his eye on the pottery. Why? Because he cares about it. Because if it gets too hot, it will crack. So the, a good potter, and ours is the, the good father, keeps his eye on the pottery. Now, my question, I said that we need to make sure that we stay in the hands of the potter. What does that, real, what does that mean, really? I mean, that sounds good theoretically, but practically, what does that mean? Well, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, and that is trusting God. And you know the things that, I'm, that I shared with you this morning on this, on this paper and the ones that I gave you, the three? These are, these are actually promises that um, we need to learn to pray when we're in the fire. These are what we need to learn to pray when we are, feel like we're on the shelf. God, I'm on the shelf and it doesn't seem like anything is happening, but you've promised that you have an unthwartable plan. And God, you see me right now. It doesn't feel like it. I don't feel your hands on me right now, but you see me right now because you've promised you have. God, that you're also concerned about me. You're concerned. And, and God, you sent a Savior. I know you're concerned because you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And God, uh, because you raised him from the dead, I know there's nothing you can't do. You're unstoppable. You always keep your word. You're always with your people. You're always leading us if I am willing to follow. And you know what? What we're going to see in the book of Exodus is that that pillar of a cloud by a day and fire by night would stop when, when they needed to stop. And you don't move until it moves forward. So you, you follow God, and as he's moving forward, as he moves, we move. If you move without him, you're going to go out in the wilderness and die. Stay with God. So it's one of those things where, where we need to pray these truths to God and, and uh, remember what he's done. I liked this other quote that uh, this guy that I was eating lunch with, he said this, uh, that the pastor had said, nobody likes to be tested. Nobody likes to be tested, but everyone wants tested things. Isn't that true? I don't like to be tested, but I like to know that whatever I've got is tested, like a security system, like uh, my car, protection of my car. We all want things to be tested. Why? Because we want to know that they are safe. We want to know that whatever we have is the real deal. And all throughout Exodus, we are going to see God leading his people and testing them in the wilderness to prepare them. He's trying to prepare them to be usable vessels in his hand to reveal his glory. And that's what he's wanting to do in our lives, church. And I just want to close with this one verse from James chapter 1, verse 12. He says, it says this, Blessed is the man or the woman or the teenager who perseveres under trial who doesn't jump off the potter's wheel. For when he or she has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to all who love him. Walking with the Lord is simple, but it's not easy. But those who trust in him will ultimately 
never be put to shame. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for um, being our God and that we can trust you. Lord, I praise you for the promises that you have given us. Many, many, many promises that if we will just believe, if we will just remember your works, if, if we will uh, just rest in you and trust you and obey, Lord, you, you have good plans for us. Lord, um, following you is simple, but it's not easy. So I ask that you would continue to give us your spirit. I pray that you would continue to help us as we move forward in this life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.